for great-looking T-shirts, hoodies, and sweatshirts. The TNT Shop is now open at tntradio.live. Patrick Henningsen and TNT. All right, folks, welcome back. We're now on number two, this live broadcast. I'm your host, Patrick Henningsen. Thank you guys for joining us. A great segment before the break. Always a fascinating conversation with Neil McRae, uh, a great writer, a great political commentator, and he's able to slide through the left-right paradigm almost seamlessly. That's why it's always uh, it's quite an interesting conversation with Neil. You never know which direction he's coming from, but he basically gives you the bird's eye view of the political situation. That's what we like to do as well on this show, so we're great. Uh, it's great to have him with us. Very much appreciate. And check out his article, The End of the Rules-Based International Order. Order. That's up at 21stCenturyWide.com. I've also dropped that into the chat room as well. I'm going to drop something else into the chat room in a minute, which is something a little bit different, a music track, a new music track, a relevant music track. I want to welcome on to the stage a uh, member of the music collective Peyote for President, uh, Pietro, or we'll call him Peyote uh, for short. Uh, Peyote uh, is on the line right now. How are you doing? I'm I'm really good, thanks. Yeah, it's nice to uh, nice to be here. Oh, no, it's you. great to have it's great to have you with us. Um, uh, we actually crossed paths a very long time ago, <laughs> back in the uh, unsigned artist days in London, back in the early 2000s. So, uh, yeah, I remember you. Also went to a couple of uh, Manu Manu Chow Manu Chow events as well. So I know we've uh, got a lot of friends in common over the years. But you've you've come uh, you've come on to this issue peyote tell us tell us about this issue tell us about what's inspired you to uh to put this track together go ahead uh thanks patrick uh well i've been um i've been a supporter of uh of the people in palestine uh for many years now since my my london days when i used to go on on protests back in 2005 2006 so i've never really left the whole um subject uh, of course, with this recent escalation, it's become it's so it's so impossible to ignore what's going on. It's so crucial uh, that even I've, I just felt like I'm living in Portugal these days, and I I really felt inclined to to write something. In fact, I wrote the whole song about uh, 12, 12 days ago on the flight back from England. I was in England visiting my mother, and I wrote the song on the plane. It was one of those downloads from. You can call it like a download from the universe, uh, which I had very little uh, little say uh, on it. It just kind of popped in. And I wrote the whole song on the plane, and I thought I need to record it and try and get it out there as soon as possible. So just to try and add my voice to the many voices which are just calling for a, a little bit of sanity and compassion at the moment. Yeah, and just just to preface this, you know, the 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 kind of genre you've you've been in, in the music world anyway, for, for a long time, it, you're, you're sort of, straddling the world music kind of genre but you're also into uh there, there's a kind of latin influence as well plus you've got a little bit of world music kind of genre but you're also into uh there, there's a kind of latin influence as well plus you've got a little bit of of rock and roll in there as well um so is this is this track kind of uh does it nest within your past work I think it does. Yeah, I think it does. It, like you, you described it really, uh, really well, Patrick. Yeah, it kind of it's Manuel Chao-esque with a little bit of uh, what I would call Latin cumbia in its rhythm. 
uh, which can be found in uh, in Colombia and Mexico, this style of cumbia, and with uh, lyrics that hopefully have something to say, although that, that's not always the case with all of my songs, but it certainly is with this one. Yeah, so I think it fits quite well in that genre. Okay, so we'll, let's, uh, we'll play this uh, on TNT Radio here. Uh, it's probably the first time this track's been played on this network, so we're having our own premiere of this track. So, Peyote for President, the Palestinian children. Here it is. I love the pictures left unpainted. I love the games they left unplayed. All the left are in the playground. I love the arts they never made. Ghost faces of a million Palestinian children. I love those voices left in silence. All with the names written in kind. Lest their bodies pulled from rubble. Lifeless empty dials to find. Ghost faces of a million Palestinian children. What are the words they'll never sing? And the darkness of the nightmare, inescapable that rings. The ghost faces of a million Palestinian children. I hear the crying, helpless children, God's most precious and most dear. I hear them begging for the reason. How could you ever? Here. I close the eyelids of a million Palestinian children. So what do we really stand for? Is this how our future's made? And when we ever find the courage to stand up unafraid, I tear away the persecution of the Palestinian children. Peyote for President, the Palestinian Children. I dropped the link uh, to the official video on YouTube. That's in the TNT chat community. You guys can find the links there. You want to follow Peyote on X Twitter platform uh, as well. Peyote, fantastic. I really enjoyed I can see that resonating. The Global South already resonates with this issue. And so your, I think your music is a nice bridge there to sort of onboard more people and kind of bring it in more into the conversation so i think you've done an amazing amazing thing there but uh yeah go ahead no thank you very much and i really hope it does i hope it does that and anybody that wants to to use the song in connection with with what's happening at the moment they have my permission to go ahead and use it you don't need to ask me um just just use it for the good of uh 
of highlighting the cause and uh, yeah please go ahead if anybody wants to use it it's great one of our colleagues here at, at tnt joseph arthur also did a song called ceasefire now i don't know if you managed to catch that uh, a couple of weeks ago but um, i think he's got a show on saturday covers a lot of music i'm going to try to introduce you guys um so to get a little bit more of his audience uh engaged in what you're doing peyote so that could be good i think um i like it and uh we're going to try to push this out uh as well on our platforms on our social media platforms i encourage everybody listening to do that as well um and are the download links uh, available on like the youtube video and how can people sort of download for their you know playlists and things like that can i pass the um i've got a link that covers all of that and maybe i could put it in the chat here for you for you now and you could pass it on yeah yeah drop, yeah just drop that in the tnt or the tnt chat room or just drop it to me on twitter x and i'll drop it uh in there for our listeners so that would be great so yeah the video plus the link for the download on just general portal. So, yeah, I think this is great. Uh, look, uh, look, I think, um, I hope, uh, I hope we can also, uh, bring some more artists together on this issue. I see there's, there's a lot of people that were trying to figure out what, what was going on. Maybe that weren't really that, you know, engaged in this issue early on in the last five weeks, but have become very much engaged in it uh in recent weeks i'm yeah. sure you've met some people like this as well so not yeah. not all like hardened veterans of the anti-war movement but people are just <laughs> kind of getting red-pilled on this um so yeah <laughs> look uh, we got a uh, just uh, two minutes left but um i'll give you the floor for your final thoughts peyote go ahead um well all i'd like to say as well is that it's uh this this song goes out to to all children it's obviously it's a call for us to be reminded that we have to protect all of our children. They have to be our priority and it shouldn't need to be said, you know. It's one of those things that we all instinctively know and feel. And I think that's one of the reasons we're all very affected by, by what we've seen in the last few in the last few weeks. Uh, in a bigger picture for, for what I'm doing, I'm, I'm actually making a whole new album. And there'll be other songs in there, like the, one of the songs is called My Body, My Choice. So you can imagine what that's all about. Mm. Uh, and we're hoping to release it sometime sometime next year. I've got a, a production partner that I'm working with, Mark, who uh, also produced the video. Please check out that there's two videos for this song, uh, which are uh, contained in that link I've just sent you as well. So check that out. And if anybody would like to support the album at all, they would like to uh, get involved, uh, that would be very much appreciated because I'm doing all of this independently. And uh, it, it does have quite a lot of associated uh, costs, etc., uh, to make it as good as possible. Or perhaps there's a bigger uh, independent record label listening to this, uh, which we could perhaps talk with and maybe collaborate with them. That would be fantastic as well. And I'd, I'd really appreciate that if uh, if anybody has any ideas. Okay, there's uh, so that's other ways you can kind of support uh, Peyote's work and get involved. Also, there's a lot of other artists and musicians kind of attached to your collective and your community too. So hopefully, it'd be a good opportunity for people to get introduced to this, uh, also this style of music and this content and this issue as well. So uh, plug in, ladies and gentlemen, plug into this community. You'll find there's a lot of great things there for everybody. 
But uh, Peyote for president, thank you for coming on TNT. Today's news talk this week, a wonderful track, the Palestinian children. Get it, download it, share it. Everybody do it now as far and wide as possible. And we'll also be doing it as well on our platforms. But thank you for coming on. Hey, thanks, Patrick. Thanks very much. Cheers. There he goes, ladies and gentlemen. That's Peyote for president. The track is the Palestinian children. Get it, download it, share it. Look, we're going to take a break here with TNT Today's News Talk and connect our next guest, veteran uh, Middle East journalist Leila Hatoum is going to join us from Lebanon on the live link. So you don't want to miss that. I'm your host, Patrick Hennings, and this is TNT Today's News Talk. We'll be right back. You should hear what James Freeman is talking about on the Freeman Report. Last night, I came across a letter from the NHF chief executive here in Wales in the UK. Um, I got given the letter by a whistleblower and it's addressed to the chief executives of all NHS Wales organisations. So that's quite a few people. That, that letter has gone out to quite a lot of people here, senior people here in Wales. And the letter basically says that it is disappointing that the uptake of the COVID-19 injections is so low among healthcare workers, but also the general public more widely. The letter goes on to say that vaccination is the best form of defence. Now, the author is Judith Paget, who, like I said, is the NHS Wales Chief Executive. Well, Judith goes on to say that she's looking forward to hearing about interventions that have been used to raise uptake at the next NHS Wales Leadership Board meeting. But that sounds a bit ominous, doesn't it? Um, what interventions are you talking about judith the freeman report and james freeman on today's news talk radio tnt when you can point me to an industry to a platform that reaches 250 million people a month virtually nine out of ten americans that's real that's substantive that's important and that reach and that touch point and that daily reinforcement it's an amazing place to be able to communicate messages. That's massive. To find out more, go to tntradio.live. The next time you think you can illegally handle your mobile phone while driving and get away with it, think again. Phone detection cameras are in operation on New South Wales roads. Hello. So if you're driving and illegally handle your mobile phone, you can stop it or cop it. The conversation continues. Our public education system, which I am now renaming our public miseducation system. On today's News Talk Radio, TNT. All right. Welcome back. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. We're still in hour number two of this live broadcast and a great segment with Peyote for president. Great track. The Palestinian children got the world music feel, the cumbia from South America. I think this is a really good opportunity for people to get exposed to that music, but also to the issue as well. So our hats off to Peyote for his efforts there. Please share and share the download link as well, which will drop in the TNT chat community. Now, we're going to do a pivot right now, a hard pivot to geopolitics, to Middle Eastern affairs, to what's going on specifically uh, in Gaza, but also in Lebanon vis-a-vis -vis Israel right now with veteran Middle East correspondent, journalist Leila Hatoums joining us on the live link right now. Leila, thank you for coming. Hello. Thank you for having me. 
And uh, Layla, just to uh, just to set the scene a little bit, um, tell us a little bit for our listeners who aren't familiar with your work. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, your sort of interest in this area, the work you've done in the past. Go ahead. Um, I started in journalism about 22 years ago, where I covered uh, geopolitics basically in Lebanon and the MENA region. Before moving on, uh, on to basically macroeconomy, and then I became a political economist. Uh, I've been uh, basically roving the whole Middle East. I've covered hot zones. I covered the uh, wars, including the Lebanese Southern Front during the 2006 Israeli aggression on Lebanon, day by day along all the borderline. And um, at the same time, basically, I covered Libya news uh, when uh, the riots were happening. Uh, I also covered the terrorist attack on Tinguen Torin, the gas facility, the, basically when the terrorists took some uh, hostages uh, there in Algeria. Um, I've also worked with the likes of international media outlets, just like um, Water Journal, uh, Newsweek Middle East. I've also worked for Al Arabiya News Channel. I was a TV, TV reporter, a writer for the Daily Star newspaper, and a Newswire reporter as well. Yeah, and you also have a uh, background in macroeconomics too, if I'm not mistaken. Is that right? I, true. I mean, I, I worked. Uh, I covered macroeconomics for the Dow Jones Newswires and the Wall Street Journal at one point before I returned back to covering um, uh, politics. And the thing is, people need to understand that everything that has to do with macroeconomy, you need to understand politics with it because it's financial policies for states and the state of play when it comes to geopolitics. They are all intertwined. So it helps actually when you cover on the ground, you know, the, the background of any conflict. For example, people, normal people, when they look at the conflict today, when it comes to uh, the Arab-Israeli conflict at one point, what's happening in Gaza, what's happening in Lebanon and with the uh, Israeli occupation. Um, some people think of it, oh, it's based on religious uh, reasons. Um, the Israelis have the right to the land because they were there, their ancestors were there 2000 years ago, etc. But they also don't understand that there's also not only religious and political aspect, there's also a massive economic aspect because that region is filled, literally, it's floating over um, major resources, energy resources, gas and oil, especially offshore when it comes to the eastern and southeastern Mediterranean region. We're talking about countries like Syria, Lebanon, Palestine, occupied Palestine, um, all the way down to Egypt. And currently we have two major projects uh, that are in clash in this region. I've spoken about it I've written about it actually about four years ago uh, in 2019 and 2020. Uh, and I said the Russian project to supply energy to Europe from east to west via Azerbaijan and Turkey at one point, the Turk stream, uh, Turk stream uh, at one point, clashed with the US project that plans to have the pipelines, energy pipelines coming from the GCC area towards south uh, eastern Mediterranean. Basically, we're talking about Egypt and um, Israel at one point to Cyprus and then to Greece. And that clash between these two projects is because whoever controls the energy supply to Europe actually controls the European decision making going forward. That's why we saw the United States last year going in and basically blasting Nord Stream 1 and Nord Stream 2. Those are the Russian energy pipelines that supply Europe with about 35% of its energy needs. Um, go, moving uh, faster, I mean, like I literally only noticed it now. I just remembered it um, two days ago in 2020, May 2020. I had written an article about the return of Kissinger to the region through two of his disciples, Shanker and Jeffrey Feltman. Jeffrey Feltman was the former um, U.S. ambassador to Lebanon at one point, and um, he appeared before the Congress as an expert on the Near Eastern affairs. He was traveling all the time with the um, 
uh, what's her name? Hillary Clinton, the former uh, Department of State Minister for like basically Foreign Affairs. And this guy stood before the parliament in May 2020, sorry, before the Congress in May 2020. And he said, we need to cut the road in the face of Russia from accessing Lebanon and the offshore energy wealth over there. Otherwise, Russia will basically trump uh, uh, Washington over that. And I had written it in the article and I never noticed it until I revisited the article. So during my writings, I always said the next fight is going to be in the Eastern Mediterranean because it's it has to do with the energy resources. So this war didn't happen out of the blue. It has been well planned and prepared for. And that's why we see the US sending two carriers, actually not one, to the Eastern Mediterranean region. It's accompanied by about 40 frigates, smaller uh, warboats, um, warships. And you have 11 NATO states sending their warships to the region as well, because the UN, sorry, the, the European Union also needs that energy. So they need to support securing that energy at one point or another. So that's the background for people who don't understand how economy goes into politics and how it actually changes maps at one point or another. Yeah, this is where we have a big disconnect when we're in discussions or uh, we're in forums or debates with other journalists or politicians who are maybe looking at one aspect of the situation, but not looking at all the aspects of the situation. So that's the difference between, I think, uh, some of the more canny geopolitical commentators and people that are, uh, quite frankly, being blown around with various narratives, uh, whichever way the wind's blowing that week. It's very frustrating, especially in this situation, Leila, as I'm sure you can attest to yourself. Uh, in the media environment, a lot of confusion, um, a lot of uh, misinformation, a lot of things that uh, marrying concepts that are completely irrelevant, and then people sort of making statements about policies or what's going to happen. Um, so, but on the gas thing, now we're on this subject. Uh, how? So, Marine One and Two are off the coast of the Gaza Strip. So, Palestine did have some kind of a license for this early on but was was it the after the election of hamas that israel moved in to basically cancel that and take it over themselves T tell us how this story went the israelis have been uh, well they have had the, their eyes on the whole of the palestinian shoreline for the longest time it's not only because of greater israel because they need to control whatever is offshore basically the offshore fields and because they actually found several massive fields offshore in terms of their northern front, which is South Lebanese borders, um, Southern Lebanese borders, what happened is that they knew that excavating or basically drilling for energy going down south towards Egypt, you'll also find gas because Egypt has gas as well. So there's no way, no way at all that 220 kilometers, about 200 kilometers of the Gaza shorelines don't have offshore oil in, uh, or energy in them. Um, at one point or another, uh, they had given under the ground licensing to some uh, larger energy groups from Europe, including any. They they had been they had basically memorandum of understanding with them. That's why we see Italy coming down to to uh, Israel and supporting Netanyahu at one point or another, and then basically the British as well, BP uh, among other uh, companies. So the idea is that everybody's eyeing that region, but none of the offshore companies is basically the oil companies uh, are willing to drill unless international law covers them. Because at any point you drill in a contested land, you might lose that license later on if the other side wins it. 
be it a legal contest or basically be there a war and they might basically receive a missile that would blast uh, their whole uh, drilling and um, basically what you call the floaters um, and, and the workers as well. So the idea is that they always prefer to wait until things settle, but they do sign the memorandum of understanding beforehand. Same thing with the, with the Palestinians. I mean, they were in talks, but they never started it. And um, I do believe that Mahmoud Abbas Abu Mazen, the Palestinian president, uh, who basically doesn't have kind of basically legitimacy with, in, in Gaza, he was the first to go in and tell the Israelis, I'm willing to take over Gaza after basically Hamas is eradicated. I mean, what kind of uh, an answer is that from a pre Palestinian president instead of just focusing on ceasefire and saving the children and saving the women who are being killed and slaughtered every day by the Israeli forces over there? So the idea is that the fight over money, it trumps anything that has to do with humanity. And at the same time, geopolitics enters after the war starts. Um, after the war started, we had Israel going in, they got stuck. So far, we've had almost five weeks of fighting on the ground. The Israelis have zero victory to show back to their people, to take back to their people. So they need an operation that saves face. They cannot stop this war. The Americans are also basically pushing them to, to continue with this war. So you have two things at the same time. One, they need to control the shoreline to get basically the offshore wealth and the money. Two, they need to go back to their people and explain to them why they already went into that war, why did, they couldn't save them in the first place or protect them, and they can't leave. So they're stuck now in Gaza. And after basically five weeks of uh, fighting, you have nearly 600, give or take, uh, dead or and or injured Israeli soldiers, as opposed to less than 200 Hamas fighters on the ground. Hamas fighters know their region very well. They have nowhere to go. They literally, it's just a die for them. They, it's, they're dead anyways. If the Israelis win, they're dead. If they continue to live under siege and blockade, total blockade that the Israelis had imposed on them, they're dead. The only way for them to go forward is to fight. Might as well die while they're fighting rather than die while they're sitting around and the Israelis are shooting them like fish in the barrel. Yeah, well put. Well put. That that is their only choice. I think that's the that's the thing that people in the West or people demanding that Hamas hand over the prisoners. I hear this all the time, Layla. I'm sure you've heard all this. Why don't they just hand over the mm -hmm. hostages and everything will be okay and we can all sort of exchange flowers at that point? That's not really gonna happen, is it? No, it's not. I mean nothing can secure the return of those hostages because the current a uh, ruling regime, I'm going to call it a ruling regime in, in, uh, in Israel because Netanyahu has been in power since 1996. He goes back and forth, but still he's been there since 1996. And this guy literally enforced the Hannibal Doctrine, which allows the Israeli occupation forces to bomb and kill their own hostages without negotiating basically with what they call terrorists, basically, and for the Palestinians, their freedom fighters, resistance under international law. So the idea is that the Israelis have killed more than 50 Israeli hostages held by Hamas in Gaza. Hamas had already warned the Israelis that whatever happens to our people will happen to the hostages because they will be staying with us. And the Israelis didn't care. They killed their own people in, in Gaza. So to say that Netanyahu wants to negotiate over that, he shouldn't have basically enforced the Hannibal Doctrine in the first place, which actually shows his bad intentions on the matter. So the idea he's lying to his people when he says, oh, we, we, uh, we wanted the, the, uh, the hostages back, but Hamas wouldn't even uh, negotiate or accept our uh, basically conditions. So they died.
he's going to blame it on Hamas. He killed 50 and he's going to blame it on Hamas. Just like he killed lots of people, lots of Israelis during the festival. And there were our witness statements from Israelis themselves that they saw the Israeli occupation forces bombing buildings that had about 40 hostages with dozens of Hamas fighters. So they actually killed more Israelis than Hamas did over the past five weeks, which is very interesting. So that 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 is the general line from the Israeli side internally within Israel as well is that um, well we have to do this because of Hamas even on the October seventh like you said uh, the festival goers the the residents of the kibbutzes they're saying e- even if they were exposed in the Israeli press like in Haaretz or you know eyewitness testimonies it's still the internal Israeli political line is it's not our fault it's Hamas made us do it so it's hamas's fault that we killed our own people this is, basically i know it's, it's it's crazy i mean this is the only case in history that an occupier literally an occupier oppressor victimizes itself for what it's doing to the victim you are forcing us to kill them it's your fault it's never the israeli fault never at any point and if they can't find that narrative they literally do the deed and just blame it on, on, on the other side. Hamas killed them. But, I mean, like, the witnesses are there. They're still alive. Unless they go and kill basically five of the witnesses that we just listened to um, during the festival, Yasmin Purat and others. Uh, David, uh, I'm trying to remember his name, I forgot. But, like, five of them went out on media, like, live on video and said the, their testimonials were the same, despite the fact that they were in different places. As well, you had settlers clashing with the Israeli occupation forces, each thinking that the other side is Hamas or Hezbollah at one point or another. There were three similar incidents along the northern Israeli front, which is basically southern Lebanon. I'm calling it the uh, the Palestinian-occupied territories at uh, at the same time. Um, Settlers shot at the patrols uh, along the northern front line. And they killed them. They killed part, uh, three or four of them the first time. Second time, same thing. And then basically the soldiers shot, shot at the settlers. So the Israelis were killing themselves, so, uh, each other. It's not like Hamas uh, or Hezbollah were killing them the first day, even the second day. And then the Israelis attacked basically Lebanon after that. And uh, they decided to go into war with, uh, with uh, Gaza instead of basically negotiating and trying to find a leeway to save, to save lives and basically save those hostages. They're too arrogant and they're too cocky and they're too um, radical. They don't accept to, to negotiate with anybody. So so here in the U.S., Leah, maybe about- you can... Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Leah. No, no, I was saying I'm talking about the Israelis, not Hamas in this matter. The radical ones over here are the Israelis, Netanyahu, Ben Gvir, and others. So maybe you can comment on this on the United States side, how they're rationalizing this to the United States public is that Israel is bombing the the people of gaza yes they're civilian casualties they call it collateral damage but they say it's actually hamas's fault this is what the israelis are telling the american uh journalists as well it's hamas's fault because they're using the uh palestinians in gaza as human shields so end of argument no more questions that's how they're framing this uh so how would you respond to that sort of um approach um, the funny part is that I studied video journalism when I was working with Al Arabian News Channel. So I know how basically videos can be edited. And when I see a video, I know where they edited the parts and the shots and how they can basically show how um, people are actually uh, uh, peaceful living and the, the Israelis are taking care of the civilians living from North Gaza to South Gaza. 
um, the Israelis actually gave enough time, ample time for the civilians in North Gaza to leave to the down south and they ushered them and they showed those videos. But those videos were edited, heavily edited, because I do have other videos, raw footage of civilians trying to leave North Gaza to South Gaza and they were bombed in broad daylight on the only road linking north to south and about 72 people were killed, 72 civilians, mostly women and children. They were on trucks. They were bombed by airstrikes, Israeli airstrikes. That's one. Second thing is that those who show you basically that it's a peaceful march for, for Palestinians from one place to another, no, that was literally after three weeks and a half of heavy bombardment killing everybody. They didn't allow anybody to leave. They give you like three minutes or four minutes to leave the house, then they bomb it. Maximum, you can't take anything with you. And with the death toll nearing to 12,000 people, this morning it was 11,180, according to uh, Dr. Uh, uh, Aburish, uh, like he's from uh, uh, the Palestinian Health Authority in Gaza. But the idea is that there are thousands more who are missing and might be under the rubble. They might be dead, they might be alive, we don't know. Most of them, again, women and children. One third of that number are children. We have over 4,000 people, 4,000 of the dead ones, their children, we're nearing 5,000 now. And the international community has started bit by bit to awaken to the propaganda that the Israelis tried to basically rely on to, to sell the story of that we are fighting the, the, the evil powers, the dark powers, because we are the power of the light. We can do no harm. We are the chosen people. This is not true. The people are waking up to those lies. The propaganda that they have put were debunked one by one. I've been myself going on spaces twice, at least twice a week and debunking every single lie and propaganda that the Israelis have been putting out. Simply because I worked in media for 22 years, I've worked in video journalism and editing, and at the same time, I know how basically they used certain semantics and words. I'll give you an example, the 40 beheaded babies. The first narrative came out from the independent, unfortunately, it's the, indep and the independent, uh, I used to respect independent so much, the independent reporter, um, Beltrue. She didn't even see the bodies. And at one point, one Palestinian journalist called her over the phone to confront her with that. And she didn't like, basically, she said like she, did, she didn't want to answer this matter. She closed the line. CNN apologized later on for carrying that story without fact checking. The White House said they didn't see the pictures. They were told about it. They retracted, they backtracked on their own statement, even the White House. But there are still people who believe in this lie. However, the vast majority of the population around the world are waking up to that lie. It's lies, one lie after the other, after the other. Remember when Netanyahu actually held the picture of the two burned babies in a, in a white blanket, etc. turned out to be a dog and it's AI doctored. It has nothing to do with burned babies. On the other hand, I can show you hundreds of pictures of burned babies, decapitated babies from the Gaza side, Palestinians killed. I mean, for the past three days, the Israeli soldiers, artillery, tanks, they've been surrounding Al-Shifa hospital complex in Gaza. And this is one of the largest uh, hospital complexes in Gaza, in the Gaza Strip, and it's older even than Israel, the entity of Israel. Israel was founded in 1948, Al-Shifa Hospital was there before them. For the past three days, nothing can go in or out. They were using drones and snipers. Anybody who moves, they will shoot them dead. You had a pile of 12 or about 15 bodies in the yard, the main yard. Nobody can reach them to bury them. And at one point, stray dogs were coming in and biting the flesh of, of um, the dead bodies. This is according to eyewitness doctors 
who came out on TV and said that. And we double checked with our correspondents on the ground, and they basically double um, double checked with the doctors because they have the numbers, and they actually uh, confirmed that the Israelis bombarded the cardiology department at the Shifa Hospital. They bombarded the IC unit. They bombarded the oxygen facility that provides oxygen to to uh, the critical cases in, uh, in the hospital complex. What was the result? All the ICU patients were killed. And basically, you had 32, as of this morning, 32 babies, infants, and patients dead because they couldn't have any medical supplies because they are under total blockade by the Israelis. So tell me again how this is not an infringement of humanitarian laws, and it's not, it doesn't constitute a war, uh, basically a, 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 a crime uh, during war times under international law. But then again, Mind you, they're going to go with their propaganda saying, oh, Al-Shifa Hospital has tunnels underneath it for Hamas. They have zero proof. They tried to pin it on another hospital when they bombed it. They showed like that uh, opening the gap in the ground and they claimed that this is the entrance to a tunnel. And towards the end, it was basically the water tank. People took footage on the ground and then basically sent it back. And it's a water tank. It's not basically a tunnel. And all the footage that they showed people about Hamas living underneath these hospitals in elaborate tunnels, they're all 3D uh, and AI animated. Nothing is real. They have been in Gaza for what? The past four weeks now, the Israelis, they did the incursion and they have troops on the ground. They go back and forth. Until today, they couldn't find one single tunnel entrance. To that extent, all the technology in the world that they had, all the arms that they have, and everything, all the might that supports them across the world, they couldn't uh, basically produce one evidence on any of the propaganda that they gave. Nothing. And they're losing on the ground as well. And I'm not gloating over here. I hate wars. I'm a person who hates wars. I've lived under the Israeli occupation for the longest time. I've seen people die. In 2006, I literally was the one who take, was taking footage of the decapitated baby in Shia area when the Israelis bombed a residential building. Today, my colleagues in South Lebanon, they, literally, there was a convoy of 15 journalist cars, media convoy. They were hit by the Israelis near the town of Yaron, on the outskirts of the town of Yaron in South Lebanon, well inside the Lebanese territories. The Israelis shot missiles at them, destroyed eight cars. Luckily, dozens, the dozens of reporters who were in those cars, they miraculously made it alive. But that wasn't the case for two other reporters who were killed by the Israelis over the past four weeks, including one, one of them is, is a good friend of mine. His name is Isam Abdullah. He was Reuters videographer. It was literally the first week of war. The Israelis bombarded well inside the Lebanese territories, shot at a group of reporters sitting in broad daylight in an open road with their flag jackets saying press and their helmets, the blue helmets they had. The Israelis targeted them with missiles. And my friend was killed at the time. And shame, shame, double shame on, on uh, Reuters. They never mentioned the name of Israel once in their statement that they put out. They said, our videographer Isam Abdullah was killed, full stop. So basically, he was killed by, by genius. He was killed by uh, some uh, higher force that nobody knows about. And then they went on basically how they're going to investigate further the, uh, the incident and that they basically give condolences to his family. I, as a former reporter, picked up my phone, called my contacts within the United Nations and Train Forces, UNIFIL, the ones who maintained the peacekeepers along the borders. And then I spoke with the Lebanese army and they both confirmed that the missile came from the Israeli side from the Israeli army. Now, you're going to tell me that Reuters couldn't do that? The massive newswire across the world with all these correspondents, both in Israel and in Lebanon? Give me a break. Everybody's afraid to touch Israel 
or basically criticize Israel's doings. We're not criticizing religion over here. We're not criticizing human beings. We're criticizing the actions. And then directly they label you anti-Semite. Why? It doesn't make any sense. I'm a Semite. I'm from this region. If I criticize Israel, I, I'm labeled anti-Semite. They did that to me in, back in 2016. They wrote defamatory articles against me in the Israeli media just because I put, basically I crossed the T's and put the dots over the I's that you can criticize a political entity. Some people over here are not Semite. They have no claim over the land. And at the same time, the Palestinians have the right. They have the inherent right to stay in their land. It's their country. When you kick them out and you do genocide and ethnic cleansing and uh, expulsion by force and terrorizing people out of their homes, you, you should be criticizing that you're a human being. Otherwise, you're a demon or you're insensitive or you're a robot. So people need to pick one. They're either human beings who are against the killing of civilians or they are robots or demons or evil spirits. That's it. Yeah, I do. I do feel that the broad sense, and a lot of people have picked this up and echo your feelings too, Layla. That uh, there's some people that have completely checked out of humanity uh, in the last five weeks. It is really breathtaking to witness uh, on such a mass scale, and uh, a lot of people are totally confounded by this. I'm here with veteran uh, Middle East journalist uh, Layla Hatoum. Uh, we're talking about the situation on the ground there in uh, in Lebanon, in Gaza, at the Israeli border with Lebanon as well. One we'll talk. More more about the Lebanese side of what's been going on, the flare-ups there in recent weeks. We'll get, we're going to we're going to take a break here with TNT today's news talk, and we will be right back after these messages. You've been warned: climate change will now become part of public health. From Washington D.C., this is the Morano Minute with your host, TNT Radio's Mark Morano. Over 200 health journals call on the United Nations and the World Health Organization to recognize climate change as a quote global health emergency. The journals, led by the British Medical Journal, argue quote human health is damaged directly by the climate crisis. The medical journals claim that climate meets the three preconditions for the World Health to declare a public health emergency. Make no mistake, this is not about public health or the climate. This is about seeking COVID-like lockdown powers once again. But the alleged climate crisis, unlike viral epidemics, has no end. There's no criteria by which they'll ever declare climate change solved. We will be living under a permanent emergency order crisis. If the WHO gets their pandemic treaty, they could literally restrict airline travel, car travel, meat eating, encourage black Blackouts, all under the auspices of a public health emergency. This is the Great Reset. Reject the reset. This is Mark Morano for the Morano Minute on TNT Radio. The thing that drives me every day as a dad is him. Every day he's hungry for something. And there's this huge responsibility in making sure that he's a good person. I think the advice I would give is you don't need to know all the answers. It's okay to make mistakes. As long as it's coming from love, then it kind of starts to work itself out. With a compelling perspective on global politics, this is The Patrick Henningsen Show on TNT Radio. All right, folks, welcome back. Welcome back. We're in the final segment of the final hour of this live broadcast here on Monday. I'm with a veteran Middle East correspondent and journalist Leila Hatoum's joining us on the live link from uh, from Lebanon. 
Um, Layla, it, it seems like the, you know, I, I, when I covered the conflict in Syria and I came out of the Syrian television station in Damascus and there's a big wall with the photos of all the journalists that have been killed during the course of that. And I, it kind of blew me away that there were so many. And what we've seen in the last five weeks, I think even exceeds those numbers or rivaling those numbers. I mean, is it, first of all, your comment on this, and is this a case that journalists are being specifically targeted? Um, because this is the accusation that has been made against the Israeli forces. Go ahead, Leila. I'll start from Gaza and go back to Lebanon. You have around 28 to 29 journalists killed in Gaza so far that we know of. And the Israelis have not only been targeting the journalists, but also their families, literally one by one. One of our colleagues, basically, Wael Dahdouh, who works for Al Jazeera uh, uh, TV channel, um, they targeted his family at his home, which they knew where it was, with a guided missile. They killed his wife, his son, his daughter, and his second daughter basically got injured. Wael Dahdouh, unfortunately, had to leave... Um, uh, two days back during the march uh, out of uh, the uh, north of Gaza, but because of his reporting on the ground and exposing what the Israelis have been doing for literally the past four weeks, they targeted his family. And we wouldn't have known that it was intentional had it not been for the Israelis coming out on during TV shows, basically the news, and saying, we targeted, we targeted them. And this is not the first case. There are other reporters who also their families were targeted. Just the reporters' families directly with guided missiles. In Lebanon, we had reporters on the ground in broad daylight. There's nothing around them in an empty road where basically they were they were away from any shelling that was happening or exchange of fire between, let's say, Hezbollah and the um, Israeli occupation forces. Still, the Israelis targeted them with two missiles. That was the first batch. Then the second time, there were reporters on the ground close to the borders, and the Israelis shot at them. One of them, basically... Uh, most of the group, they made it out without, like, they were unscathed. But one of the reporters got shot, and he literally shot, like, he filmed his last moments on video, on his phone, sent it to his friend by WhatsApp, to his brother, actually. And he said, I, I might be dying. I'm actually dying to now. But this is what they did to us. The Israelis were literally shooting around him so nobody can approach. It wasn't until, like, 15 to 20 minutes later that Unifil were allowed to come inside and they pulled him out as a dead body. Had they reached before that, they might have been able to save him. That's the sad part. And um, today, basically, we had a convoy of 15 cars. You cannot miss 15 cars going around, basically, with with with, the, with people coming out of it every now and then with their uh, press jackets and basically and the, the helmets. You cannot miss it out. So a convoy in broad daylight going out to one of the Lebanese southern villages, it's near the borders, but it's like kilometers away from the borders. So the idea is that they don't pose any threat. They were targeted on purpose to stop them. Why? Because the Israelis not only love to terrorize people and civilians, but they also love the atmosphere of media blackout. When there's media blackout, they can go and sell their own narrative. But when there's a reporter on the other side filming what they are actually doing, they will actually expose their lies. When, with whatever they ha was happening. During that time, when they actually shot at the reporters, they had already bombed one of the Lebanese southern towns, Ainata, and uh, they targeted basically um, uh, a civilian complex. I, at one point, I thought it was going to be an outskirts of Ainata and wrote that they targeted the outskirts of Ainata. But unfortunately, they targeted the town itself. Two Lebanese civilians were killed, dozens were injured, 
multiple houses basically destroyed. So the Israelis are looking to, towards escalating this kind of conflict that's only limit, have been limited towards the southern Lebanese border, line, border towns. But bit by bit, the Israelis are increasing the, the frequency of their attacks against civilians, literally. Civilians are the first target for Israelis. In 2006, uh, you know, Israel targeted civilian areas. Bomb, the, the bombing was intense. There, there are Israeli officials. I have seen people on TV. Maybe you can comment on this. Making public remarks about turning Beirut into Gaza, basically. I mean, there's been some shocking things being said on the Israeli side. And uh, have you picked up any of this? And what are your thoughts on that, just in general? Um, do you know when you have all these old track records that you pull out every now and then and listen to them? The Israeli threats are the same and they repeat themselves every single time. It's the same bullying. Like they are bullies. They use the same threats. We will return you to the dark ages. And the Lebanese were like, we already don't have electricity or water. We have a financial crisis. The economic situation is bad and we don't have infrastructure. So what's worse than that? Like basically you're, you're going to bombard the buildings. You already did that in 2006. So there's literally nothing that they can do more than what they did in the past. But they continue with this narrative to tell the world that, oh, we've warned Lebanon against that. But they were the aggressors from day one. In 2006, they bombarded most of the residential buildings across South Lebanon, the southern Beirut borders, which sorry, the southern Beirut suburbs, which is basically the capital of Lebanon. And they bombed all the way up to north, to the Casino de Liban and beyond. So they're not limited to one area. But if they want to inflict harm, now there's a balance of terror. They know that Hezbollah has unique type of weapons that they haven't used so far. And the idea is any incursion or any attempt to use their air force might be met by new weapons because between 2006 until today, they don't know what Hezbollah has accumulated over the years. That's the thing. And that's what creates the balance of terror. They've been pushing that narrative in the media. I don't know if you remember the Wall Street Journal uh, headline um, last week or the week before where they said, uh, Wagner is thinking of selling an air defense system to Hezbollah. Thinking. So basically, they were sitting inside the minds of Wagner to know what, what they were thinking of doing towards Hezbollah. And then they basically put it according to intelligence sources and intelligence reports and intel basically officials that are unnamed. That's really funny because whenever you want to pass a CIA-related article, you rely only solely on, on sources. Nobody's named. And it's always most probably, most likely intentionally or not intentionally, like thinking of, there's nothing that's precise and concise in that article. In journalism, they tell you, like they literally told me from day one, if you don't have at least two sources on the record, you don't have a story. And now they're running stories without any, any sources. Uh, yes, and I'm basically taking a hit against my former uh, employer, but the idea is that they made that mistake and I have to po point it out. And why did they choose Wagner? Because it's the closest thing to basically blame Russia at any point or implicated in what's happening over here. They don't know if Hezbollah has the air defense system. They wanted to create a kind of pressure and narrative that would force Hezbollah to go out and address that at one point in a statement. But until today, the Israelis are so stupid and the Americans are more stupid than that. I'm talking about the regime, not the people, to the extent that they think that they can actually uh, force a statement coming out where basically the other side will just uh, show them their his cards. It doesn't make any sense. The, the, the beauty about uh, any resistance on the ground is that they have certain cards that nobody knows of. And that's what creates the balance of terror. Do they have air defense system? Will they be using it against us? I mean, only recently we knew that Hezbollah has attacked drones and they used it for the first time deep into 
the northern front. And they actually caused casualties over there. And they also have the half-ton missiles, Burkan, which they used for, for the first time. Nasrallah, Hezbollah Secretary Chief, um, he literally, Secretary General, basically, he went out and he said, we have used for the first time a Burkan missile. It's a half a ton, nearly half a ton of explosives bomb or missile that actually uh, caused harm within uh, the settlements uh, in Israel and basically the settlement uh, military points as well. We're talking about Rahib, Zara'it, uh, Barit, and uh, others, Shlomi, Manara, Mutilla. Those, most of those settlements are, are set on Lebanese occupied, occupied Lebanese territories. So for Hezbollah, they're fighting to gain back that land. They are not breaching international law in terms of anything. And the first fight, I don't know if you remember, Lebanon did not shoot the first shot against the Israelis. What happened was the first day after the October 7 attacks, um, you had a group of um, Palestinian uh, resistance fighters from Lebanon who are basically sitting in the refugee camps. They shot at the contested territories, which is basically Lebanese say it's Lebanese. The Israelis say, no, it's Syrian. They don't even say it's actually Palestinian. And that's the Shiba farms. So when the missiles were carried, they basically shot uh, in that area, they didn't harm anybody. The Israelis shot back deep into Lebanese territories. Under international law, they breached our sovereignty. They breached UN Security Council Resolution 1701. Lebanon is in self-defense mode since then. So the Lebanese are in self-defense. The Israelis are the aggressors. And then the Israelis actually killed the Lebanese uh, journalist and injured five more. Later on, after that, the week after that, they killed two Lebanese citizens, an elderly couple, and then uh, last week, we saw them uh, killing uh, three little girls and their grandmother. The three little girls are under the age of 14. Their civilian car was targeted by an Israeli drone missile missile from a drone. And the witnesses who basically saved the mother said that the, the little girls were screaming and burning alive and nobody could help them. And the Israelis to cover up for their intentional mistake, and I'm going to call it intentional because they monitor everything, they went up with a out with a statement saying there were three armed militants in that car and they were shooting at the Israelis uh, on the other side. But the car was between the towns of Ainat and Aitarun, well beyond after, like away from the borders. So where are the Israelis to shoot at if from a moving car? It's not like basically a mobster in a, in a Hollywood movie going and a ta -ta -ta, basically shooting everybody. And they tried to sell that narrative to the world. This is another propaganda. And we exposed them. They continue to target civilians. It's, it's crazy. And the Hezbollah at that point decided, if you're going to target our civilians, for the first time in our lives, we're going to go and target your civilians. Not like basically casualties, but collateral damage. No, we're going to target. So right after the incident of the Israelis killing the three little girls and their grandmother, Hezbollah targeted a logistics car that actually works with the Israeli occupation forces. And they killed one person in that. And Nasrallah went out in his speech and he said, you shoot our civilians, we will shoot your civilians. You shoot our airport, we will shoot your airport. You shoot our facilities, we'll shoot your facilities. This time we have a bank of targets and we're not going basically to restrain ourselves like we did back in 2006. And I don't know if you remember, Patrick, in 2006, do you remember when Hezbollah actually shot a missile next to the chemical facility in one of the settlements in, in, uh, in Israel? I think it was in Naharia at one point. And they issued a statement saying we could have easily blasted that chemical facility, but we are trying to say, show you that we can reach it, but we're not going to harm civilian lives around it. The Israelis, if at any point Lebanon had a chemical facility and around it there were civilians, they wouldn't think twice but to actually 
bomb it and kill everybody around it. They don't care. Yeah, I think the record. Actual. Yeah, sorry. Sorry, yeah, the, sorry. The record shows that that is the case. So you're you're you are absolutely correct. Looking back at the record, look, we're going to wrap up the program here with the top of the hour. But uh, I just wanted to thank you, uh, Leila Hatoum, for coming on the program. Uh, we'll drop a link to your uh, social media account. Do you have a, a website as well that you want to give a shout out before we break? Um, I do have my own website called minacoms.com and uh, I actually provide the uh, media analysis and crisis management to it. So call there if you, if you need me. <laughs> okay. That's it. Well, we, I'm all we, and, and, and follow her on, uh, I'll drop her link, follow her on X Twitter and Spaces as well. Layla is an absolute great place for uh, accurate reporting knowledge on these issues. Thank you so much. And a big thanks to Niall McRae in the first hour and Peyote for present. Amazing track, the, the, the Children of Palestine. Amazing track. Look, take care, you guys. That's all we got time for us tomorrow. Same time, same place. Patrick Henningsen signing out. All the best.